This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. It's good to be here. So wonderful just to celebrate Jesus with you all. As Gabby said, my name's Tom and I'm here with my wife Sarah and a bunch from Ipswich, where I have the privilege of leading the team at Hope Church. And uh, I have to say, I'm really delighted to hear that it was someone from Hope Church that won the cardboard cutout of Dwayne Johnson last night. So that is a result. Now, I don't know what you do on Friday nights when you're not competing for cardboard cutouts of The Rock, Uh, but me and my wife Sarah, Friday night is a night off, okay? So we uh, have quite busy evenings often, and on Friday nights we... Uh, get the kids to bed, our phones go off, and we like to try and kick back and watch a movie. That's what we do on Friday nights. And uh, now there's a problem, and it's very much a first world problem, I have to admit this, but there's a problem these days with the amount of choice that we have available to us in the streaming services that are available. Anyone have that problem? So we sit down and we think, what are we going to watch? And by the time we finish scrolling, we think it's too late to start this film. So what we have to try and do is find ways in which we can work out, is it worth investing the next two hours of our lives in this film? And so the problem, though, is that you go online and you look up a film and someone's put five stars on the film. You think, this looks great. And then you think, I'll just see what everyone else has got to say about this. And so you scroll down a little more and the next person's put one star. And they said, it was a waste of my life. So what do you do with that? What do you do with the the, the movie that says, someone says it's amazing, someone says it's rubbish? What you have to do is read the two or three line description of the movie. That gives you an understanding of what it is that you're about to commit to. That's what you have to do in order to work out, am I going to invest the next two hours of my life in this movie? Now, I wonder what you would say to someone who asked, why should I bother reading this book? What's it all about? What would you give them as a two or three line uh, summary of what this book is all about. I don't know what you would say. Maybe you would say it's an epic story all about the most important man that has ever lived, Jesus Christ. And that would be a pretty good explanation of what the Bible is all about because Jesus himself said that the Old Testament uh, testifies about him, even though he's not there in person as it were. It's all about him. That would be a good answer. But I want to give you my answer uh, to this question. Here's how I would summarize the Bible if I was to be given maybe two or three sentences. The Bible is the story of how the eternal creator God has set about winning for himself a people from every nation on earth so that he would live amongst them and satisfy them forever. And he's done this through sending his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to redeem us from our sin. That's how I would go and try and summarize what the Bible is all about. Now, that's lacking in some detail. It's not going to be perfect in every way, but that, I think, is as good a go. And it chimes with Titus chapter 2, which we won't turn there right now because we're going to get into the Bible quite a lot today. But Paul says this, that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and get this, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
God is after a people. Yes, he loves individuals. We've just heard from Lewis's story how he goes after the individual. Amazingly, he loves each one of us and he sees your situation. Even though there's hundreds here, he hears your cry, he hears your prayer. He loves individuals. But friends, he is after a people of his very own. This is what God is about in the world. His intention was not to merely save some individuals and give them a ticket to heaven like your Willy Wonka ticket, but actually to, to redeem for himself a people that would astound the world, that would look very different in many ways. And the Bible is one long story about how God goes about that, starting with Abraham and Sarah, an old couple who the Bible describes as, as good as dead. That's how old they were. And he says to them, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the beach. He goes after them and says, I'm going to make a people for myself. And then we see that story unfolding as he brings the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And we see it right through to the end of Revelation, where there's an innumerable uh, crowd gathered before the throne worshipping Jesus. It's all about his pursuit of a people that might that he might dwell among them and satisfy them forever. That is what God is doing in the world right now. When we get a hold of this, and I pray that we will this afternoon, when we get a hold of this, it changes everything. Because we look upon what is going on in the world and we can think it's chaos. What is happening? Well, God has a plan, friends, and he's outworking his plan in the nations. He's doing it. He hasn't kind of been thrown by some world events thinking, Oh gosh, I didn't foresee that coming. I'm going to have to rechange my plans. No, no, he's about something in the world and he's committed to it and his zeal will accomplish it. We don't, you know, we don't know how zealous God is. He, is. he is so more zealous for his purposes in the world than we are for anything that we set about doing. Who here has thought, right, I'm going to get fit. This is the year I get fit. And then you last about two weeks with your gym membership. We just kind of lack zeal for things. Well, God is very zealous to have for himself a people of his very own. And he is pursuing this people. And I think when we see this, everything changes. We start to reorder our lives around God's priorities. We kind of say, okay, I was doing this, but now I see what God's doing. And now I want my life to come into line with what he is doing in the world. So I want to, in the time we have remaining, just consider four pictures or four analogies of what the church is that we read about in the scriptures. There's more. Uh, I want to consider these four pictures, and I want us to uh, see the glory of God's people, the church. And uh, I could probably preach for an hour on each of these, okay? So I've got about 15 minutes remaining. We're going to go quickly. So the first picture is the church as the bride of Christ. Can you say bride? bride. We've already uh, read that he is purifying for, a uh, for himself a people of his very own, and we see that he gets his way. So Revelation chapter 19, right at the end of your Bible, we see this, these beautiful uh, verses. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. We see that right at the end of all uh, human history as we know it, 
There is a marriage between the church and Jesus. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. He has won us. And when we think about purifying ourselves, when we think about purity, it's right to think of devotion. We are devoted to someone who has captured our hearts. He's totally captured our attention and our affection. We belong to him now. I want you to think about a bride. Maybe you know someone who's getting ready for marriage this year. They, over the next few months, will be looking to a particular day in their life and getting themselves ready. Now, it's not a 15-minute job getting ready for a bride. Like, guys can get ready in 15 minutes. We can do that. Okay, but the bride, it takes some time to get ready. And actually, it doesn't take just the day itself because there's the choosing of the dress. There's the choosing of the flowers. There's the choosing of the shoes. There's how am I going to have my hair. There's all kinds of considerations to take into account. And what is at the heart of that is actually devotion. I want, I'm devoted to my future husband. That's what a bride is thinking, and I want to be absolutely glorious and resplendent for him. And so we, the church, we have this devotion to Jesus. We belong to him, and we are longing for a day where we will be united with him. Now, as we know, getting ready for a wedding is not just about the one day. It's actually about eternity. It's about the rest of the life. And likewise, we friends are getting ready for a great day when we will be united with Jesus forever and it will go on and on and on and it will be glorious. So we're devoted to him. He's the center. He's our hope. This is is why, friends, it's quite ugly when churches can, and it can happen in this nation, it can happen in other nations. Churches can get enamored with like a political leader. They can sort of say, well, he is our hope. If we get him in charge, then we're... It's actually really ugly because our one hope is not a political leader or any other personality but Jesus. And our devotion is centered on him. He is the center. And so as the bride of Christ, we want to not just be content by looking okay. We want to be beautiful, befitting of the groom. We want to be befitting of Jesus who is perfect. So it speaks of our devotion to him. We are the bride of Christ, readying herself for that great day. And the bride stands out, right? You've been to a wedding before. You don't need to ask someone, which one's the bride? (laughs) You don't need to do that. The bride stands out. It's right that no one dresses like the bride at the wedding. The bride stands out. And listen, friends, as the church, as God's people on the earth today, we are to stand out. We are to look different. We're to be distinctive. That's reflected in our devotion to Jesus. So we're a people with a day in our hearts, we're the bride of Christ. We long for Jesus' return, just as a a bride longs for that wedding day. Right at the end of the Bible, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus. We're we're fixing our eyes on a day. And friends, we we, we need to be those that love his appearing, that don't just kind of think, well, I've got some things that I want to do in this life, Jesus. Can you hold off until I get those things done? No, we want him to come, because we're devoted to him. He's our hope. Secondly, the church is one new humanity in Christ. Can you say new humanity? humanity. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be uh, for this. And we read in verses 14 to 16 what the Apostle Paul says. For he, this is talking about Jesus, he, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So these are quite confusing verses at first reading, but what you need to understand is that the early church was made up of people from a Jewish background who had come to trust in Jesus, and people from a Gentile background, that's a non-Jewish background, who had come to trust in Jesus. And the difference couldn't have been greater, okay? The, the, the way in which the two different uh, groups would have grown up, the backgrounds couldn't have been more different. The different customs, the language, the way of dressing, different outlooks on the world, hugely different. And now being drawn together in the church. There were some archaeological discoveries a uh, hundred or so years ago which uh, found inscriptions from uh, Jerusalem at the time when there was the temple. And uh, one inscription read this, no foreigner, so no Gentile, may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall be put blame for the death which will ensue. So this is the difference, the huge difference between Jew and Gentile, the, the dividing wall, as it were, of hostility. This is how great the divide was. And Jesus has come to make his church one new man in Christ, one new humanity. It's not, Paul says, about one national culture or one way of dressing or one language or one outlook on the world. It's about one new man in Christ because he has demolished the walls of hostility. Unity that is centered on Jesus, not around uh, kind of cultural preferences or ways of doing life, but actually centered on Jesus. So I want you to think of those who've come with you today. I want you to just look at them for a moment. Don't look too long, it might be awkward. And just consider, would I know this person if it wasn't for Jesus? Most of you here could probably look to the person next to you and say, I wouldn't know you. You can say to them, I wouldn't have anything to do with you if it wasn't for Jesus. You can say that to them. And you can stop abusing the person next to you now. Listen, he is, he is creating a new humanity, a family, a, a household of faith with people from radically different backgrounds. That's what he's doing in the world. And maybe you're knowing that in your church. Maybe you're knowing old and young being joined together in community, in real community. Maybe you're knowing people from very, very different cultural, national backgrounds coming together to be friends. Sarah and I stayed last night with some friends of ours uh, who used to be in Ipswich. They now live in Milton Keynes, and they're from Nigeria, and they are such dear friends. And we would not know each other if it wasn't for Jesus. And there's so much difference, so, so much difference in the outlook and ways and food and all that kind of stuff. But we are so, so uh, for each other. This is what God is doing in the world. He's creating one new man in Christ. In our church in Ipswich, we will commonly have uh, Nigerians and Filipinos and Indians and Romanians and Ukrainians sitting in the same kind of rows in church. This is amazing. Nowhere else in the world will you find this. Only in the church. We've got people 
in the same life group who have done long time in prison and police officers. That's not intentional. We don't put them together deliberately. <laughs> but that's, that's happening. That's happening, friends. This is what happens in the church. And, and this is what it says in chapter 3. It goes on to say that God is creating something that would display his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the spiritual places. So that the rulers and the authorities in the spiritual places, the devil and his, uh, his armies, are looking on and thinking, how on earth has he done that? Because nothing else in the world can unite people from such radically different backgrounds. Only Jesus. So they're looking on and thinking, how is he doing this? We're centered on Jesus. We're one new man in Christ. Deep friendship to be known with people who are very, very different to us. Finally, well no, not finally, thirdly, the church is the temple the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Can you say temple? temple? We're still in Ephesians 2 for this. Just go a few more verses. So verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking to the Gentile believers. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this language of the temple would have been very familiar for the Jewish hearers of this letter. They knew the temple to be the place that represented the presence of God on earth, where God would dwell in a manifest way. Listen, God is everywhere Psalm 139 says, where can I go to escape your presence? The answer is nowhere. He's everywhere. But there are places and contexts in which his presence is made manifest. It's made tangible, feelable. We know it to be true. I think we've known that and are knowing that even now. God is amongst us. And listen now, friends, there is no holy place that we must go in order to meet with God. We individually are temples of the Holy Spirit. God himself has come to dwell within us. But when we gather like this, and when we gather in our churches tomorrow, we gather together and we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This means, friends, that when we gather, our expectations should be really high. We should expect that we're going to meet with the living God in power. We should expect that we're going to know his presence amongst us to heal people and to speak destiny over people and to rid us from uh, our, our addictions to things, to come and, and break us free. We should expect that he's amongst us because we, the church, now are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So it's, it's very different to, oh, I've been to church, I went to church last week, I just need a week off. I just need to kind of, I just need to go and have a bit of me time. No, when we come together, we're meeting with the living God. There can be nothing better. That's far better than me time, to, to meet with the living God. And you might sometimes think, my church, when we gather, it doesn't, it's not like it is here. Or it, I, I would love for there to be more people like me there. Listen, we get to meet with the living God. His presence is made manifest amongst us when we gather. Our expectations should be high. He's got things for us when we gather because he dwells amongst his people. Terry Virgo, in his book, Does the Future Have a Church, says this, we are where God lives. We are where God lives. We are his house. So, does the future have a church? 
it's as sure as the future has a God. Do you get that? So when we gather together, we're expectant. We're not just some people who have cool music. We're not just some people who are nice to each other, like eating quiche. (laughs) We've got the presence of God. We know him with us. Finally, the church is the pillar of truth. Can you say pillar? Pillar. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is a pillar, holds up something for the world to see. This is what the church is to be. We're not to compromise and so blend in with the society around that we don't look distinct. We're holding up Jesus. We're holding him up as the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is not a popular message in a pluralistic society that says, you do you, I'll do me. But we don't compromise on that, friends. Jesus is the only way to the Father. You might say, what about people who are really sincere, who are really good people? Jesus is the only way to the Father. And all of the things that we were reflecting on last night even, around the crazy moves that the Church of England are making right now. Really crazy moves. What, they, what, what is a danger, friends, is that when we start to ignore what the Bible says, and we start going on what we think is right and fair, is that ultimately the gospel goes. That's the ultimate trajectory, that we start to say, well, it's not really just Jesus. There's other ways as well. As long as you're sincere, as long as you are kind to people, as long as you recycle. (laughs) No, Jesus is the only way. He's the truth. And we hold him up. This is what the church is to do, friends. And he is the way. And he says, I'm the king. You've got to do what I say. Don't go with with what's in our hearts. We don't just try and kind of go with the flow, what's in our hearts. No, we say, Jesus, you are the king of my life, and I live for you. We're holding to Jesus as the way, not a way, the way. It's not you have your truth and I have mine. We hold up Jesus. Of course, we do it with gentleness and respect. That's what the Apostle Peter says. But we hold Jesus up. We're the pillar of the truth. We hold him up for the world to see. We don't display ourselves. We don't try and blend in with culture. We hold out the truth. And it's not very comfortable. But we're not called to comfort. Amen? So let us be gripped, friends, by the church Let us be as gripped by the church as Jesus is. He loves the church. He gave himself up for her. There was a time when the Apostle Paul was known as Saul, and he was breathing out murderous threats against the church, having people thrown in prison, having people killed on account of their faith. And Jesus stopped him in his tracks one day, appeared to him, the risen Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? This is how much Jesus identifies with the church. You might say, and you might hear people say, I'm a a Jesus kind of person. I'm not really a church kind of person. That would be as silly as me saying, "Um, I'm more of a Tim's face kind of person, but not the rest of him. I like like Tim's face. I like his head. He's got a nice head. 
but the rest of his body I don't really like. This is how much Jesus identifies with the church. He, he, he loves the church. Let me implore you, let me encourage you, don't give up on the church. I sat with some people uh, a few months ago who were uh, bruised from a situation in their church where they had, they'd had some difficulties, they hadn't handled some things well themselves, but they were leaving their church and I said, what are you going to do? And they said, we don't know. We think we're just going to, we're just going to stop the church. We're just going to stop going to church. We're just going to quit. I appeal to them, don't give up on the church. We're going to hear in a little while from Dave and Liz Holden, who are heroes really for us. We're going to hear some stories of what God has done through them over decades. Listen, 40 or 50 years ago, it could have been very tempting to give up on the church. It could have been very tempting to say, this is hopeless. You know, we're not allowed to, 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 to worship freely. There's so much formal formality. There's legalism. There's all sorts of issues. But these guys and others, they fought for something. They saw some beautiful things in the scriptures. That what is the, what is the church to be? They didn't give up on the church. They fought for it. And friends, our, our battles will be different. We enjoy beautiful times of worship. We enjoy glorious freedom in worship. We know the grace of God that frees us from legalism, but there's going to be different battles, sticking to the truth of the word. There's going to be many other things that we're going to have to fight for, but friends, don't give up on the church. Jesus loves the church. We're to be a city on a hill. There's so many other ways in which we could describe the church, but Jesus is not embarrassed by the church, and he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's going to build his called out people. That's what the church means, the called out people of God. I'm going to build my called out people and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's what he's been doing. He took 12 ordinary unschooled men and they and their friends turned the known world upside down. And now millions and millions of people across the world worship Jesus. And the church is advancing across the nations. This is what he's done. This is what he's going to continue doing until he comes again to claim for himself his bride. So do not give up on the church. He chooses the foolish things that sometimes we think look a bit pathetic. He chooses the foolish things in this world to shame the wise. I've been a Christian nearly 20 years and I've seen him do this. I've seen him build the church. I, I remember when I was a new Christian laying awake at night thinking, this is going to be so hard because all my mates oppose Christianity. And if, if, if they oppose it, what does the rest of the world think? It's going to be so hard. And my observation, what I have known in the short time comparatively that I've been a Christian, is that Jesus is going to build his church. Nothing can stand against him. Nothing can stop his purposes in the world. So let's be devoted to the bride of Christ. Okay, here's where we're going to go from here. We're going to discuss in threes, really no more than threes, because you all get a chance to speak that way. We're going to have four questions that are going to come up on the screen, I believe, and we're going to discuss these things, and then we're going to pray together, okay? I will pray for us first now, uh, and then we're going to have these questions, and then we're going to pray all together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that what is going on in the world right now is not random, or it's not unexpected to you. And that you are about something that is so beautiful in the world. 
and one day we're gonna, we are going to see it in its complete fulfillment. We're going to know you face to face and we're going to celebrate with innumerable multitudes and we're going to say worthy. Just as we sang earlier, you are worthy of it all. We're going to sing that together and we're going to enjoy you for eternity and you will satisfy us fully and wipe away every tear. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be involved in this great work that you are about in the world. I pray for my friends here that you would stir us for this. Lord, break us out of an individualistic mindset that is a Jesus and me mindset. Break us out of this, Lord, and bring us into the fullness of what you have for us as your people, as your church. Let us fight to see a glorious church in this nation and in the nations. Let us fight to see this, that we might not, um, we might just not say, oh, it looks okay as it is. No, no, let us look to see the bride of Christ be so beautiful and stunning to be befitting for the groom, Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen.